Welcome in, everybody, to Fantasy Pros. This is the Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It's me, Joey P. Joe P. Zapia, and today it's time to talk projections. I know you love it. If you love fantasy baseball, you love projections. You love looking ahead to the future, trying to figure out who these guys are going to be in 2024. And we're going to talk about 10 players that are breaking draft boards today on the show. And, of course, the Welsh is always here wearing his Savannah Bananas hat, too. Now, we can't afford to go see the Savannah Bananas because it's like $1,000 a ticket. But look at that hat. That is spectacular. And... When you're talking about projections, when you're talking about value, it's a national holiday today. I don't know if a lot of people realize. It's ATC Day, and the author of the ATC Projection System is here with us. Ariel Cohen, the man, the myth, and the legend. He's an FSWA Baseball Writer of the Year in 2019, Article of the Year in 2020. He's like, I don't know, he's like everything of the year, every single year. Ariel, here's my big question for you. The A is for Ariel, the C is for Cohen. What in the hell is the T for? (laughs) It's a uh, transliterated Hebrew name, Tzvi. Oh, you know what? (laughs) There was no way I was going to guess that. No, one. no, no. Million no, no. guesses. We want to talk about projections and percentages. Zero percent chance Joe or I, we were going to get that. Also, so can you spell that for me? I just want to get, is it, wait, like, let me, actually, better yet, let Welsh try to spell it. That's, oh, that's really the. Uh, T-S-A-V. Not bad. T-Z-V-I. It means oh, a deer. Not close either. <laughs> not bad and not close at all. So listen, I, I've, after the show's over, I'm going to run and change my name. We're going to talk about some players here at each position that Ariel has in his projection system. And for those of you who don't know what ATC is, or maybe you're newer to fantasy baseball, uh, it is one of the great projection systems out there. Ariel is one of the most consistent rankers, one of the best projection specialists out there in the market. So Ariel, talk to the people a little bit about your process, what ATC is, how they can apply it and where they can find it. Yeah, ATC has been ranked number one as the most accurate projection system by Fantasy Pros last five years in a row. So, you know, it's good. Uh, it's an, it's a projection aggregator. I take a look at many other projections out there and some history, some past history, uh, last three years. Um, and it takes the best parts of each for some, let's say, home runs. Steamer might be better than Zips. Um, maybe for strikeouts, it goes the other way. And so I wait the projections according to what, how they performed historically to give the most accurate representation of what could be for 2024. And it certainly has worked in the past. So hoping it works again, ATC just landed today. Today is ATC day, national holiday. Check it out on Rotoballer, on fan graphs, many other sites to be announced pretty soon. You know, one thing I want to mention, Joe, you were like, everybody loves projections. Everybody doesn't actually love projections. There's actually quite a few people that still exist out there that are very anti-projections. Well, I am, but Ariel's our guest, so I don't want to be a jerk yeah, well, or a guest. But, but uh, way to make it awkward now. On the well, show I'm just saying, time. there's variations of it all. There are people that live and die by projections. I'm kind yeah. of a middleman a little bit. So only thing I wanted to bring up in this, because I think your projections, Ariel, and you know, I've been doing shows with you for a long time. You and I... Great friends shagging baseballs out in the outfield only a couple uh, couple months ago. But like I've always appreciated your projection system because of the aggregate nature, especially like we do a lot of aggreg- aggregate content here at Fantasy Pros. It makes a lot of sense. For any of the doubters that are out there, do you want to just throw just a couple little nuggets real quick and why not even just projections, but your projections should be a little bit of step ahead and something that people should be paying attention to? 
Yeah, I mean, the idea behind projections, it's not going to ever show you, oh, this guy is going to break out. Like a lot of the players we're going to talk about today, uh, it's going to be just, it's a value compared to what everybody else thinks. I'm good with a three-round gain, a $2 gain, right? It's not going to, oh, my God, I can't believe I got Aaron Judge hitting 62 home runs. Like, it's never going to get that kind of thing. But it just gives a little bit extra on on uh, everything. Uh, it minimizes process, it, a parameter risk, right? A projection, who knows what a player is actually going to be? Is steamer right? Is zips right? Is the bat right? We don't know. But ATC minimizes the uncertainty. So that's why it's a step ahead of everybody else. I have one more, Joe, and then we're going to get to this because our dear friend Ariel has given us a bunch of awesome undervalued players according to ATC, which we're going to be talking about here on National ATC Day. But how about this? Let's go on the other side real quick. If you had to tell us what you think projections are the worst at in the five categories, hitting and pitching, what do you think projections get the mo- uh, have the biggest struggle with on hitting? And what do you think categorically they have the biggest struggle with on pitching? It could be obviously wins. ER- I- I'll tell you mine. I think pitching, it's ERA. It's always wrong. It's always based usually off of an XFIP of the previous year. And I think for hitting, actually, I don't know. I, I probably would go with maybe home. I feel like home runs tend to be a, a struggle or even better stolen bases last year with Corbin Carroll. Everybody got wrong. So yeah, that'll be my my official line is stolen bases and ERA, but what say you? you just answer your own question. Let Aaron. Well, I, I answered my version of it. I want to hear what the yeah, smart guy has to say. I, on pitching side, I agree. I think ERA is obviously the most volatile uh, year to year. It's the hardest to predict, so I'll agree with that. It could be batting average on, on the hitting side, uh, although batting average stabilized somewhat. Home runs, you're a little bit right about. Home runs actually take about a year and two months to fully stabilize, uh, but I would say it's going to be more the runs and RBIs because team context is hard. If you're not doing well, you're going to be dropped to the bottom of the lineup, and then it's going to snowball. You're going to lose playing time. You're going to lose at-bats. You're going to lose the run production. It's more about team context. Stolen bases, really, um, you know if they get on, they steal at a certain clip. They try at a certain clip. It's a little bit manager-dependent, but you could get a nice handle on it. So I'm going to go with uh, runs, RBIs, maybe a hint of batting average on the hitter side. Now, although I am not the biggest projections guy, what I like about Ariel's work specifically, and not because he's a guest here and he's here on the show today, what I like Mm -hmm. about his work, honestly, is what he said, which is he's kind of like the sheriff out there, keeping everybody in line, you know, saying, well, you know, you project this, you project this, but how good are you at doing that? And I like that. I like how Ariel's kind of like the boss out there. He's like the Wyatt Earp of the projection world in fantasy oh. baseball. I think that's a good thing. So I'd love to see you in a cowboy hat. Maybe later in the show, we'll see how it goes. Let's get to the names. Let's start talking about some baseball because that's what you're here for. And by the way, if you are starting a fantasy baseball league, if you have one and you're looking to go to the best platform on the planet, go to Fantrax because they have the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper redraft and best ball leagues. Create or join a fantasy baseball commissioner league. Invite your friends. If you don't have friends, invite your enemies and dominate your draft this season. Right now, Fantrax free MLB league manager is the most customizable, easy to use and feature rich platform in the industry. And that is no lie. It is incredible. All the details they have there. And if anything's lacking in your current fantasy league manager, Fantrax likely has it. So go move your leagues today because it's really simple to do. People don't realize you have existing leagues. I think it's a pain. Switching to Fantrax makes it easy. Believe me, they do a really good job of that. So if it's the ultimate keeper league, dynasty league, or just a simple redraft league, or even best ball, we can get up to 2,000 teams. Go to Fantrax today. Again, sign up for free and you can get entered to win a Fantrax game day experience where Fantrax will send you and your league mates to an MLB game of your choice. So go to Fantrax.com slash Fantasy Pros. Again, that's Fantrax.com slash Fantasy Pros. Sign up today at Fantrax 
the home of fantasy sports. Let's start with catchers. Speaking of home, let's go behind the plate here and talk about two catchers here. Sal Perez, ATC projections, looking at 24 dingers, 63 runs, 81 RBI, a 258 batting average. Wilson Contreras in the ATC projections, also relatively close here, a little bit lower in the RBIs, uh, 64 compared to Sal Perez's 81. Uh, still 21 home runs, though, for Contreras. Uh, 60 runs at a 253 batting average with five stolen bases, so a few more steals. So Perez and Contreras, they both popped into the ATC projections as undervalued players. Catchers are tough. They're going off right now as catcher number six and number eight on NFBC. Between these two guys, who do you prefer? Yeah, so by the way, just to, to note that it really matters whether you're in a one-catcher league or two-catcher league for a catcher question. If you're in a one-catcher league, like don't take anybody who costs anything. Go your last round and take whoever is the best available. We're talking Preach. about it. Yeah, we're talking about a two-catcher league here. Um, and those two are very similar in profile. Yeah, a little bit more power with Perez, a couple of steals with Contreras. We're a little bit more about Sal Perez's health. He's a tad older. But on the flip side, Sal Perez will DH quite a bit for the Royals. That's going to keep him more healthy. And that's also going to give him a lot or potentially, I should say potentially, a lot more playing time. So there are very, very uh, good points for both. Personally, I'm a Sal Perez fan. I think that the extra 100 at-bats is going to be enormous for those counting stats. The batting average is just fine. So if you're not too worried about the uh, about the health, and again, you're going to be DH most of the time, I think that Sal Perez is a really, really nice buy this year. Yeah, the one thing I'll throw in there that's interesting about these two, though, is when you look in an NFBC format, those are two catcher leagues. Catchers go crazy. I tell everybody, if you pay attention to ADPs from NFBC, here are three things you need to, to know. Pitchers are going to go high, closers go crazy, and... You're going to have catchers that have unrealistic value to most of your leagues. The difference with these two players, though, is Sal Perez is still a player in, you know, you're starting up a fan tracks league. You're jumping in. He's still going to go relatively high. Wilson Contreras does not. Wilson Contreras is probably more realistically a post 200 player. So I, what I think is interesting when you look at these, you say, hey, don't take anybody that's of value. I want Sal Perez here, but Wilson Contreras is going to cost exponentially less in all these other normal leagues. He is a guy that falls. So I thought it was interesting that he popped in as a top 10 value on the catchers, Ariel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, bo both are pretty good. I I'm happy with taking both. You, you can also say, you know what? I'm not going to take Perez where his value is. I'm going to wait. If he's still around, take him. If not, you know, go Contreras a little couple of picks later. You can play it by ear in, in a draft. In an yeah. auction, it's pretty much whoever is the cheapest, right? You're, you're going to getting a 4 or $3 bargain, whatever it is. Just pick the one that's the biggest bargain. Yeah, I got a two-catcher NFBC right now that Luis Campisano is my top catcher, so that's how I feel about it. Let's go over to first base here. Really interesting name that popped up as your underlying value, and I am curious about like what last year is pushing this year, but it was Josh Naylor. But what I'm curious about is what is the underlying value for him? Where does that lie? Naylor, to me, is kind of closer to like a Yandy Diaz type of player, yet he's going, in NFBC at least, six total spot difference from Yandi, and they're both inside the top 40. So you got high batting average, which I think is probably the key with Naylor. But what's the thing that sets you off that makes Naylor such a uh, a good underlying value? Yeah, I, I think that Yandi Diaz is another value. It's also actually an ATC bargain. Uh, but Yandi Diaz is due for regression. Josh Naylor is going to be hitting fourth in that lineup, that massive, massive run potential. I mean, batting ahead of him, you got Quan, Jimenez, Jose Ramirez, there's so many guys who are, have a very high percentage chance of getting on base. Uh, so he's going to have a lot of RBI opportunities. Also, he's very well categorically spread. 
I mean, he stole 10 bases last year. He can push 20 homers, which he did two years ago. He had a 308 batting average. Now, that's not going to continue, but should remain fairly high. He's got so much invested all over the place. And look at his contact rate, 84% last year. The guy gets on base, has a little bit of everything, a big RBI push. It's just a lot of places for value. He could be worse in one category. He'll push the other this year. I see a very high floor production from the cleanup pair of the Guardians. And I'd add one of the things that probably pushes uh, them being a value. Here are, if you're looking at the top five players at first base uh, for batting average on ATC, Freddie Freeman, number one. You've got Yandy's in there. Bryce Harper, number five is Vlad. And Naylor is sandwiched in between them. And you're still getting 20-plus homers, which are not projected off of Yandy. And you're getting RBI totals that are closer to the Freemans, Harpers, and Vlads. It's just he's not that player. Yeah. He just might be a more upside version of Yandy Diaz, which is really underrated for fantasy teams. Yeah, and I think the better comp, actually, in terms of the skill set, is to Paul Goldschmidt. I think he has a very, very similar profile to him, and he's going way, way cheaper. That's a really interesting comp, the Goldschmidt one. I remember last year you coming on the show, I think it was in February, and Naylor is one of your early guys you want to talk about and i after ariel made his case i went out there and i drafted him everywhere because he was like a what a post 200 adp guy last year i want to feel oh, yeah. like right yeah and I, I remember having that conversation about nailer with you specifically and he was like this is my guy this is why and you laid out a lot of good things the contact rate one of them in the minor leagues being something that was positive and hopefully the guardians get a little bit more lineup protection around for everybody this year we'll see how that goes they need a little bit more offense uh speaking of uh some of the guys that we like alex bregman's a player that's really settled in to a groove uh the last two seasons here for alex bregman over at third base have been nearly identical uh which is great because i'm sure it makes life a lot easier to project them i guess here's the question when it comes to bregman he's hitting his peak in terms of age in terms of you know that 30 year old window from 28 to 31 that's usually the best you're getting out of a player but if you go back to 2019 you do have that outlier that 41 home run season even the year before that 31 he settled into this 23 25 range I know you're saying ATC is not going to project power breakouts, but at this point, when we're looking at Bregman, do you think what he's settled into here is basically who he's going to be? Or do we ever potentially see maybe a better start to the season in 2024 where maybe that 25 number bumps back up to the 30 range? Yeah, again, this is another one of those examples of we're not going to see that breakout. This is just a prototypical value for what he is. Yeah, ATC is projecting more of the same. He's not that 40 home run guy that he was back in 2019. He's a 20 low 20s type guy. He did have 25 homers last year, so that's not out of play. That batting average is going to be awesome. I mean, we'll talk about contact rate. 88% contact rate last year. 88%. That's crazy, crazy good. His line drive power is fantastic. We're talking 260, 270 average. Uh, I Runs and RBIs. I mean, this guy had 103 runs last year, 98 RBIs. You know, runs and RBIs are two-fifths of all of your roto stats. So if you got a guy who's almost going to get 100 in each, massive, massive. And he's only going in the seventh round. It's not like you got to pay a Manny Machado-type price. You know, he's not going in this uh, Paul Goldschmidt range. He's not going all the way up there. Seventh round, and you're getting good production. Again, the only downside I see is a little bit of age, but it's going to be soft regression. I think Bregman is just a guy to hold value. Yeah, you know, he's always interesting to me because I feel like he's one of those guys that I've identified a few of these players where I feel like they're at the tippy top of optimizing 
what they do best and they're getting the most out of their production. The reason I don't like some of those guys sometimes is if there is any regression or any bad slumps, then they fall apart. Like I think CJ Abrams is one of those players that the way he was able to pull the ball, get the ball in the air last year was at the tippy top of his ability. And it's like, if that regresses at all, you're going to lose that. Bregman's kind of the same way. Really, really high launch angle. He doesn't have a really high pull rate, which you'd love for him to do a little bit more, but you also had like declining barrel, not big hard hit. So like he optimizes his game to where he plays and how he plays to the fullest. The good thing is he kind of continues doing that Ariel, but I always worry if there is any little downtick, then you're looking at a guy that is like sub 20 homers and blah, blah, blah. But now we don't have to pay the cost for him anymore. Yeah. And worst comes to worst, he gets old man skills, which is he, he walks. And by the way, last year he walked more than he struck out. There's not that many players that can say that. So he's got a great eye. I see very little soft regression for him. Solid play for a base of value in the seventh round. It's it's still high mid-draft. I would also say, just to throw that in there about Bregman, too, if you're in the salary cap drafts, like that's the pivot at that position because you're going to pay a ton for Royce Lewis. You're going to pay a ton for the upside of Ellie De La Cruz, right? All the sexy names that are ahead of him on the ECR and the ADP. That is a great pivot point to, as Ariel's pointing out, if you're in these roto formats, right, and you're in a salary cap league, Bregman's going to give you close to 100 and 100 in both those big categories. That's huge. That's something you really don't know if the other guys are going to give you. Maybe they'll give you stolen bases too. Yeah, okay. But at the end of the day, he's going to give you at least that 25 home run benchmark power, which is also pretty solid. He's probably going to do it, Ariel, wouldn't you say for at least probably $10 less than the other two? I don't know about $10 less, but... Uh, well, Close to it. I bet in some uh, of these formats. You know, the, you know the sexy names. They go very high in some of these big high roller drafts, too. I should say, ten, yes, the market will pay $10 less. I don't well, value the market. $10. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I've noticed it's Bregman and Arenado. Arenado's I've had some early shares mm-hmm. of. He just continuously falls. A little bit more power projection, better batting average projection. So if you're looking for uh, some cheaper third base... Uh, Bregman is one of those guys. All right, we talked about old man skills. This is going to be old man argument for me. We're going to second base. This, to me, has been an age-old argument I've been making for at least the last 18 months, if not two years. Luis Arise has popped up on your undervalued players. As well, Nolan Gorman, two completely different players. So I need to get your overall take because my problem with Arise is pretty simple. He is a one high-end one category player I'll give him two with runs projections this year 82 runs with a 319 batting average if those are the only two categories we played in give me a first round pick the problem is Albatross with RBIs he doesn't steal bases and he doesn't hit homers he's projected nine or 13 combined stolen bases and homers he's a two category player I have a hard time understanding why he's still undervalued compared to Nolan Gorman, who pops in your system, put a big hard hit numbers last year. He's projected for 28 homers, 73 RBI, kind of low runs, more stolen bases than Luis Arise, and a, I guess, serviceable batting average of 244. So understanding all of this, Arise is going inside the top 150 on NFBC, Gorman He's at 198, as I did the January 1st on uh, just, you know, ADP for January 1st on. My question is, is they're both underperformers. There's a 50 spot difference. Do you want only two categories out of a rise or would you rather wait a little bit and get the value out of Norlin Gorman? 
Yeah, so great question. And there's a lot of things that go into this. Uh, those two are very different players. Yeah. Arias is very unique. Usually when you think of one category hitters, we're talking stolen base demons, Esther Ruiz. Um, the problem with one category guys, it's a risk problem, right? In the numbers, it doesn't really contemplate risk. It values, oh, he's going to hit 313. That's worth, oh my goodness. Uh, but there's a risk. When you have a roto team that matters on the base of values from different categories, if you're buying Luis Arias, you're going to probably say, oh, I got batting average. What the heck? I don't need to take anybody else that, that has that. I could take some low batting average catchers. Well, what happens if he gets hurt? What happens if he underperforms? You're sort of screwed. So the risk is in the team context in aggregation, right? Uh, so that there is a problem. The other problem I have, and it's mainly in a draft setting, in a snake draft setting, is there are so many other players in round 10, 11 that I want to take and so many other stats I really need to pound. Uh, you need to build up that base of value, those counting stats, those RBIs, those runs. And if he's not going to do it and he's only going to fill one category, it's not an opportunity in a draft to do that, right? It, it's just bad for the gameplay, the game theory of drafting. In a, an auction, a little bit different because you can build a base of, of a couple of $15 players, right? You don't have to get a 17 and a 15 and a 13 and a 10, right? You can get a bunch. You can mix it up. You can't do that in a draft. So in a draft, Nolan Gorman is easily the guy, and he's unique. 30 homer guy at the, tw at the second base position, and he'll steal like 7, 10 bases, very unique profile, and this late in a draft, I like in a snake draft, it's Nolan Gorman for me, easily over Arise. I, I feel like Luis Arise is the best real-life player that breaks fantasy brains, and in theory, he's so much fun. We're not talking points leagues. Luis Arise, phenomenal in points leagues, but when it comes down to head-to-head -head categories, Roto, I just can't get behind constantly the the chaos that goes around. Luis Arise is under. He's oh it's, it's two category player. All summer with Welsh. Yeah, it's, just it's crazy to me how people talk about every day. Welsh was yeah. miserable on leading off about Luis Arise. <laughs> if he hit twenty homers, if he hit twenty homers Welsh, and still ten the guy bases, like that's in twenty homers. But if he would just steal 15 bases, I think you'd feel a lot better about him. I think that's the problem. Like if he had that one other patch in his game, or if he played in a juggernaut offense, hitting in the two hole, maybe we'd feel better about him too. I don't know. How about this, Ariel? You can take one, one category player, Luis Arise or Estory Ruiz. Which one do you want this year? I'm going with Arias there because I think that the batting average means a lot more than the stolen bases. There are, there are so many more stolen bases since the uh, change yep. of the rules. The, the the batting average of a 320 type player, that is much more unique. And I'm also way more sure that he's going to get it. I mean, he's been a 320 player for the last four years in a row. Arias, I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm sorry, Ruiz, I mean, he did it once. Will he get on base at the same clip? Who knows? Oakland stole last year. Maybe they won't this year. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Uh, between the two, it's Arias. Yeah. With 15 guys, I think, last year, stole 30 or more bases, right? Somewhere 16 guys. Yeah. I mean, that is a big jump from what we've been accustomed to the last couple of years. So certainly big changer. Xander Bogarts was a guy who saw uh, an uptick in his stolen bases, a career high 19 last year. Also had 19 homers. Solid season for Bogarts. I thought he was being a little overdrafted last year. Interesting thing here. Your projections are kind of right at the same spot where Steamer is, give or take a few uh, home runs or runs or RBI. But at the same time here, if you look at 
the most interesting underlying stat when it comes to Bogarts. He slashed 285, 350, 440 last year, but his expected slash numbers were 255 for the batting average, 318 for the on-base percentage, and 401 for the slugging. Now, those feel like red flags, yet you still think he's underrated. Talk about why that might be, and maybe that's the red flag that's standing out to people of why they're a little hesitant with him when it comes to 2024. Well, I'm not sure where those X stats come from, but uh, maybe it's the fact that his BABIP went down, but it's still fantastic. He's used to BABIPs of like 330. Just to give people context, BABIP uh, is uh, it's it's what you do when you're not striking out, you're not hitting homers, and for most people, they're not in control. It's going to lie about 300, and if you've got much over 300, you're lucky as a hitter. But some people make their own path. Uh, Bogarts is constantly a 330 type hitter. Uh, he, he was unlucky by his standards last year, so maybe that has to do with it. I mean, to me, Bogarts is a guy who is so well spread in the categories that he just keeps filling in a little bit here and there. A couple years ago, I used to take him in the fourth round. Now, back then, he had a lot more power. He would be more like a 25-30 homer guy. Now we're talking more 18 to 20. But the stolen bases are still there. He's still going to have a 280-plus batting average, even if you don't think he's a 300 guy anymore. And the only thing I worry about with him, though, is the RBI and run base. Padres lineup is not that good, and they just lost Juan Soto. It's going to be a lot worse. So I struggle mm-hmm. with that. I'm not as high And Machado high. for the opening of the season, potentially, too, right? And Machado might not be there, right? And maybe Tatis will get suspended again. Maybe he'll break both shoulders. Who knows what will happen with Tatis there? I I mean, that's, that's a negative web. Boy, Padres fans, I apologize on behalf of Ariel Cohen. Well, I just I just yeah. don't know what what's going to be with no, him. That's you fair. never know. By the way, Ariel. those numbers coming from our own wonky penguin Kelly Kirby, so they are not to be disputed. Just so you know, she does her oh, yes. research. That's for sure. The, won- the so wonky never, is the wonkiest. I learned yeah. the hard way. Never ever go against the penguin. That's Ariel, would you thing. rather spend a fourth round pick on C.J. Abrams or? Uh, I'm not doing the math properly. I had an eighth round, ninth round, Xander Bogarts. Yeah. You know what I'm getting at. We're at yeah. value. Who would you rather have, Abrams or Bogarts? No, so it's Bogarts. So compared to where he's going, Bogarts still is a little value. I, I like plenty of other people uh, than him at this spot. So for me, in another one of those guys that in a draft, I don't like Bogarts, but in an auction where you can just chip the two, three dollar values and getting it, he's better. I don't like Abrams. Abrams to me is more of a one dimensional guy as well. If you he doesn't succeed and Washington's not that great, you might lose a lot of value from the stolen bases. I'm not as high on him as most other people. So maybe I'm just partial against him uh i do prefer bogarts to him though it's so weird because last year welsh that was a guy that we were all in on because he was so cheap and now he's so expensive that i'm kind of yeah. where ariel is where i'm almost like oh like i i think it's great that we were right but now we were so right that i almost feel like this might be wrong looking at i think where his you value have to this year you have to pick and choose your spots when you pay this year for last year's stats and I usually Always. say that a lot. Like it's and well, it's hard but, to do with a guy who did it for a half. You no, know, no, I understand that. Do but it for that, one half of a season, as opposed to a guy who's done it two or three years, you know, or or slowly kind yeah. of has built on it. I think the Abrams jump you is know, the hard um, part to buy. The, and the other thing I want to say is that uh, this um, in the last couple of years, stolen bases were scarce, and we all had to pay premiums for stolen bases. And our for some reason, the mindset is pay for stolen bases. You got to pay a premium. Well, you do the math. There are plenty. The stolen base premium shouldn't exist. Like we're back to where the way it was seven years ago. We are just value them as normal. You don't have to push up any one single category. So I think people who are picking Abrams that early still have that mindset of you got to get steals. You got to get steals. It's not the case. And that's why he's overvalued. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's like, uh, I, I always find fantasy people are always trying to kind of mitigate values of stuff. People are like, I don't want to do saves. Let's do save holds. And people are like, I don't want to do like stolen bases. Let's do like net stolen bases and stuff. And it's like MLB almost just bottomed out stolen bases by being like, we're going to make them a little bit closer. Now everybody can steal them. And it's made the value but it's, change well, just it's, a yep. tiny bit. Enhance the game again. It's made it a lot of fun. Sure. And I was just looking back six guys two years ago, stole 30 bases last year, over 15. Like yeah, that's a big still, jump. You know, there's still right? a lot and, in the hopper. Two guys behind I, me, if you're watching on the video, there's well, like well, not you know, only there's a lot in the hopper, bases. but like, well, those guys were well, Witt and Carroll were good last year, but like also just looking at just the baseline of stolen bases, all the guys who stole 20 last year, you know, in that range too, it was just spectacular to see that athleticism back in the game, the excitement back in the game too, and and the, and look, all of it worked last year. I know some people were hesitant. We were very bullish about the rules changes, and you know what? I think we can all agree, looking back on it, they were good. By the way, everybody, if you're looking to get a handle on all these players we're talking about and see where they're being ranked currently, always head over to fantasypros.com, click on the MOB tab. You can see the expert consensus ranks, and you could also start running your mock drafts too on Draft Wizard there. So start to get a handle on some of these things. Welsh, why don't you take the outfielders here we're going to talk about next? Yeah, well, this one, speaking of stolen bases, one of the big arguments I would have made last year and probably made over the last couple of years is when you're going to invest and try to get those stolen bases, the best thing that you can do is get those core players that you know you can trust and you're not getting albatrosses. That's changing a little bit. But here's one of those guys. Here's one of those guys where you want someone that does a little bit of everything that pops out to me. So let me throw out before I mention the player. I looked at ATC. There were four players uh, for the outfield position that were projected to go 20-20 or better with a 280 batting average or higher. By the way, I may have actually had all. I might have not just been outfield here. But there are four players projected. Again, 20-20, 280 or higher batting average. Three of those players going in the first round. Ronald Acuna. Kyle Tucker and Julio Rodriguez. The fourth, Michael Harris. Current ADP as of January 1st on NFBC is 34. So in a 15-team league, that is in the third round. Is Harris, Ariel Cohen, one of the better draft day deals that people should be taking a look at? Oh, yeah. I think your analysis is great. And rarely do I bring up an undervalued guy who's going in the third round. I usually focus on 7th, 10th, 14th, 11th, you know. But... Third round, Michael Harris, this is a guy who could be first-round value. Um, you're essentially getting a five-category player, and you don't have to pay the first, second-round prices here. Um, I think the reason why he's going lower is because he just not, did not amass enough playing time last year to be in that conversation. Right? He only had 500 at-bats last year. He only had 400 at-bats the year before. But the rate of production has been spectacular. He also only had 57 RBIs last year, but he bats in the middle of – a fantastic Atlanta lineup that is going to produce runs. So that number is going to go sky high to the mid eighties. At least we're talking a huge base in every category. 2020, he might even go 30, 30. If you uh, squint here, uh, love it. And there's nothing about his profile that looks bad. There's very little downside to him other than getting injury, which is fluky to begin with. Michael Harris is a potential first round guy. Really like his value. Here. Huge draft day target for me. Um, I have a been doing a lot. Of- last year, Welsh, in the first half of the season, it, too. I mean, this the- guy was people, the panic mode. Oh, Michael yeah, but that, I mean, that's that's fantasy. Real. That's a common fantasy of, oh, sophomore slump and blah, blah, blah. But guess what? You should feel even better because he broke back through it. That's mm-hmm. a huge sign of right. what we he want when we're not paying for those previous stats. I have a lot of early builds where my I, I want my stolen bases, but I've been getting a lot of Freddie Freeman's, Corey Seager's in round ones and twos. If I can get Michael Harris after that, you're doing yourself wonders because you're not hurting your batting average. You're getting stolen bases. You're adding to your homers. 
I view Michael Harris as a great core piece to whatever you did. You do not have to have taken Corey Seager, Freddie Freeman to justify Seager, uh, to, uh, Harris. You could have taken Julio and then another stolen base guy in the second round, and I'm still fine with it. You can never have enough outfielders, and I think he's kind of a really good core piece as far as uh, draft goes. Masataka Yoshida, another outfielder I know we wanted to talk about last year, a really solid rookie season for him. 71 runs scored, 15 homers. I see your projections here along with Seamers and some other ones here in the ATC. Eight stolen bases, two hit, 289. Is there potential here for him to build on this? I know basically what you're giving us here with ATC is kind of the the baseline of what you saw last season, which is all we have to go on because it's a very small sample size. It's one season for Yoshida. But at the same time, you look at maybe Trevor Story coming back in this lineup, maybe Tristan Cass is taking a step forward. Do you think that this is a player here where maybe there is another gear or do you think where he's currently being drafted is enough of a value where it doesn't matter? Really hard to say. I think this is more art than science because we're talking about a foreign player coming over, adjusting to a new league. And by all means, I think his first year was very successful. He had 289. He knocked in 72 runs, even stole some bases, half a dozen homers. Um, I, I, I can't tell you whether there's much growth ahead. Uh, I can't tell you whether, from the from the numbers, I should say, whether uh, this was just an adjustment year and there's more, or maybe he's just the same. I do think, though, it's it's a good floor. Like I don't see him getting worse. I think this is not a career year. He's going to be the same or get better. So from that side, there's only upside. You only have to pay a 12th round price for him, uh, and he could be worth more. Um, I, I can see the path of 20 homers, 10 steals, 300. I can see that path. Will the Red Sox have enough players to knock in? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. So I'm, I'm lukewarm on him. I'm more, hey, do I like the art? Uh, what do you guys take on, on Yoshida? Well, actually, I, I wanted, I didn't mean to reflip a question back to you, but do you notice, because uh, no, there's a trend here on what you've identified for us for undervalued players is batting average. Batting average seems to be the key. Outside of Nolan Gorman, if we don't count the catchers, because they're they, they don't count, they don't they're not real fantasy players. Um, <laughs> but we look at everybody but Nolan Gorman is high batting average. Do you think maybe like how you project and see maybe from a dollar perspective on players that batting average is the key marker to identifying undervalued players? Or is that built around the floor and finding floor in fantasy being more important? Because Yoshida absolutely fits this marker. Could he be 2010? Yeah, on a good, like a guy that hits the ball a whole bunch, starts to, you know, add a little bit more barrel, hit the ball a little bit harder. You can see the floor of a guy that makes tons of contact get to 2010. That's why Luis Rise is so frustrating. How can a guy hit the ball all the time, more than anybody, and never get the ball in the air? I can see the path, but I'm finding the interesting trend that all of your undervalued players are centered highly around batting average. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I use a Z-score method of evaluating uh, how what dollars he worth, what round he should go to. And Z-score methods generally do give a little bit more bump to the rate stats than they do the counting stats. Uh, somebody using SGP will count the home runs a lot more, right? Um, not so much, just a little bit of a bump. So maybe a, a dollar or two is due to that. But I do think it's mostly market-driven. I don't think that the market properly values the worth of the batting average, the stability of having a great contact rate that facilitates that and they're overvaluing the stolen bases in general as i've mentioned okay. so i think it's it's a little bit of both but mostly market driven as to the trend we're seeing 
let's go take a look at some starting pitchers. You got, uh, we got multiple starting pitchers and a couple relievers we can dive into. The biggest one has been one of the big risers. There's a couple in NFBC people have been tweeting about. There's a couple guys that are moving up in drafts. Pablo Lopez has been one. I've been kind of on the George Kirby train. The other one has been Logan Webb, who you identified as one of those big risers. He's since January 1st, he's been SP 17, but the six best ERA according to ATC coming up this year. So based on cost and him moving up a little bit, be curious as far as buzz guys go, how much, how undervalued is Logan Webb? And when you compare the cost of where Pablo Lopez is going now and his strikeout potential versus the floor with Logan Webb, who would you rather have? So I threw two questions at you. Yeah, you guys talked a lot about Pablo Lopez on your last show, and you did compare him a little bit to Webb. Uh, Lopez going in the third round, Webb going in the fifth round. That's a huge, huge difference in where you have to take him. You know, if, if you if you got Webb instead of Lopez, the hitter you can get, instead of getting a, Chaz, a Jazz Chisholm, you can upgrade to Bo Bichette. I like I like that hitter swap much better than the downgrade from Lopez to Webb. One thing I look for in starting pitching when I'm drafting is a low ERA and a low whip. I want to stabilize my ratios as quick as possible. The strikeouts, you can find some guys later on. You can who just give up a lot of runs but do strike out. But it is so hard if you're, especially if you're a roto league, if you've got a blow up in your staff, so hard to get that down. Right? You can add the counting stats, but to bring that ratios down is so hard. So in terms of roster build, Logan Webb is far more important than you think. And for drafting, I really, really like him. And look at this. He's really, he's an ace going at uh, number two prices. And look at Love his it. volume. 216 innings pitched last year, nearly 200 strikeouts. It's not like the strikeouts are not there. Uh, very high on Logan Webb here. I think he's a great base that you can get without getting a strider and without getting a Cole or a Luis Castillo. Um, I think he he hides. And the, the only quibble you can say is, well, he pitches in a pitcher's park. Maybe that's why. Well, well, I, as I long as he's here, still he, pitching there. As long as he's still pitching there, he's still there. <laughs> That's always the and dumbest was, thing. While well, he pitches on a pitcher, but oh, so right. is he pitching there this year? You know, I did the write-ups for the uh, all the pitcher profiles for the Black Book this year, and Logan Webb was the guy that just stood out to me as that huge value, too. So I'm glad to see that you think the same thing, because it's all the same thing you're talking about, which is why am I foregoing early hitters in my drafts when I can get Logan Webb and build up a staff of two 1A-type guys and, you know, instead of running on just that one guy – and still have a great offense. Logan Webb is that perfect guy, that perfect fit. Again, you can go check that workout on Amazon, by the way, new fantasy baseball black book. Ooh. But uh, let's move on here. And by the way, Welsh, also, when you were talking about Ariel and you guys were nerding out there for a second in that last segment, it took everything in my being not to ask him about the X plug, but I didn't. So oh, I'm trying yes, to be well the behaved. X plug. I, I was X creating plug, some. Some we created some stats, stats last, year. last year to see if we could trip up the experts of the fantasy baseball community because there's so many deep stats that we just made up a few just to see it, if we could. Ariel would be the worst one to because Ariel no, would no, straight why up be like, that's I, why I didn't do it. Yeah, Nick we'd be Pollock's like, so what is the X plug of favorite. him? And Ariel would be like, I don't uh, know what that Nick is. Nick Pollock's reaction was the best one of all of them. I can't yeah. wait to to ask more about that. We'll be on PitchCon this week, all of us. We'll have some fun yeah. on that. I want to talk about two other pitchers. I'm going to talk about Kenta Maeda. Welsh, you're familiar with Kenta Maeda from last <laughs> yep, year, I believe. sure am. You sure you know who he is? Kenta Maeda, going? yep. Detroit Tigers. Uh, Detroit Tigers now, that's right. New spot yep. here. Uh, so he's coming off a year, um, 104 innings pitched, 117 strikeouts, 423 ERA. Then you've also got another guy who's undervalued too, and you Darvish. Now you Darvish came off a rocky season. Let's be honest, but we've seen Darvish have rocky seasons and then bounce back, which I think is so interesting. He's kind of like that, you know, he's like that boxer. He's getting knocked down, and every now and then he gets up and he punches somebody else out. 
does Darvish have another one of those seasons in where he possibly gets back up off the mat and starts to throw haymakers again? Or is Kenta Maeda the better fit here, despite the fact that, well, you are moving from Minnesota to Detroit and that lineup probably still more of a work in progress. I mean, these are dart throws at the end of drafts. These are your last couple of starting pitchers. You want upside at the end. Uh, Kent Maeda, I, I don't know if he has fantastic upside anymore. The only amazing year he had was that COVID year, but, you know, you didn't have to pitch all that much there. You know, is, my, is Maeda healthy? I don't know. Can he give more than 100 innings? Probably not. So he shows us a little bit of a value. But I'm not that interested. Darvish, I mean, he's got upside. I don't know that he's a sub-4 ERA guy anymore, though. I worry about that. But the strikeouts are still there. He's still got way, way plenty of good ability to get batters out. So to get a guy who, if he pitches 180 innings, maybe 180 strikeouts, that to me is very interesting at the end. And I'll throw in one other pitcher who's going somewhere at the end like this, Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez is a guy who was a $23 pitcher just two years ago. Forget last year, that was all injury. If he's back and healthy, and the Yankees haven't really aggressively shopped the starting pitcher market other than Stroman, uh, I think they oh, believe in him. Which I hate, Nestor. by the way. I think that's a terrible move for them, but that's a story for yeah, another Ground ball pitcher? I don't know. Well, yeah. that's them, but but Nestor Cortez, he's a guy who could earn a lot of value. And just a, a thing about getting these guys who you don't know if will last all year. Let's say you Darvish comes out and throws fireball stuff and really has a great two months. Uh, if you're in a trading league, Trade them then, you know, just get rid of these guys, unload and get something else, right? You want to take these old vets who show something and say, hey, look at him before they get injured. I always drafted Clayton Kershaw, I trade him after two months. And one time he got hurt the day after. So, you know. <laughs> that's that's knowing <laughs> that's knowing the path. And, and look, I think that's a really important thing you're talking about, knowing who these guys are. And as you said, Maeda's a 100-inning pitcher, right? So if you get 50 out of him the first few months, you start to go, okay, maybe I'm hitting my limit here. And you can't ever think everything's going to work out because more often than not, it doesn't. And speaking of not working out too, you know, Ariel and I both are loser Met fans and we saw Marcus Stroman and Stroman is a good pitcher, but he's also a big personality. And I don't know how that wow. personality is going to work in very well with the you know Yankee what? culture. Um, I have a little beef with him because uh, I do. think I said something to him on Twitter. He's very, he's by the way, he's are you blocked by Marcus Stroman? That's very impressive. I, I was not blocked, but I got a picture of him with uh shirtless with his big dog saying, I'm going to come and get you. Like, <laughs> really? really? Yeah. So weird. Uh, he hasn't tweeted a single thing in the last couple of months. I think his agent said, dude, st stop it already. Wow. He is, Terrible clubhouse guy. You know what you should have done? Twitter. You should have you should have tweeted back a shirtless picture of Ariel Cohen with mm. whatever pet was available for you and say, "Come get some." Get Ruvain. Get Ruvain. Get Ruvain on Lee. <laughs> do that. Yeah. Do that. All right. yeah, that was a little. That was a little strange. So I have a little personal beef with him. Wow. A little bit. I, I had no idea we were going to get that story, and I'm so glad we did. I, yeah, let, let's not put the graphic of that up, please. Oh, All right, I'm let's, looking for that picture right now. You can okay, talk. I we want will. the shirtless right. Ariel Cohn picture, too. Let's finish this bad boy off with closers. We'll close it out with them. And you identified two players, and it, there's going to be more of an overarching thing. Evan Phillips with the Dodgers pops up. Really good projected uh, saves. I think right around 30. ERA solid. And Tanner Scott, kind of a lower name, obviously, with the Marlins. Same thing is going on here. But... The overarching part of this is we also had Hader go to Houston and destroy Ryan Presley. We had Stevenson go to L.A., which maybe destroys um, uh, Estevez. But we now know LeClerc is okay. There's one. And specifically Evan Phillips. Evan Phillips now, we're a little bit less fearful that anyone's going to come in. So the thing is, you see higher projections on some of these mid-tier closers. We have an idea what's going on in the closer market now. 
pretty solidified. Because of these projections, does this make you want to avoid early closers overall because you're getting some pops in that mid-tier, you know, closer 10, closer 15 type of range? Is that where you want to fish because of these projections and now that we know the market? Or is there something else inside of it? Well, I've studied closers over the past couple of years, and I can tell you that getting the premium elite closers usually are a bad return on investment. You want to get that second tier of guys. Felix Batista last year was like the eighth closer off the board, and he was the number one, right? You don't need to get that one, two, three and pay that price. You're good with the second tier. Now, for Evan Phillips specifically, can you guys name who's going to be the best team in baseball next year? It's the Dodgers. Dodgers. Diamondbacks. I mean, Dodgers. Dodgers, I mean. Well, well, sure, I was sure quiet because <laughs> how often do we ever see the team that is supposed to be the best team in baseball actually be the best team sure. in baseball? Well, true. I'm old enough you know, to see this. I've seen this movie before. But I know where Ariel's going here. There, yeah. There's the point yeah. of it. You know where I'm going? Yes. They're yeah. a great team. If you want to get a lot of saves, do you want to get the Oakland closer or do you want to get the Dodgers closer? Ding, ding, ding. It's the Dodgers closer and it's Evan Phillips. So there's a lot of saves going on and his ratios. I mean, last year, 205 ERA, 0.83 whip. The year before, 0.76 whip. I mean, he's good. He's on the Dodgers. What more do you need to know? Why is he going this late? I don't know. Um, it's a slam dunk to me for Phillips. Um, and the other guy I like here is Tanner Scott. Just he 104 strikeouts last year. There were only three closers who had uh, 100 strikeouts, uh, who had uh, um, as much as he did in terms of strikeouts. There's a guy who's going to help you in not just that category. He'll help you in four categories pretty much. Uh, Tanner Scott, and he looks to be the guy. He took over the role. He just went with it. Marlins will have a lot of close games uh, so the because they have a decent pitching staff. So close games, even and they shouldn't be bad. They, you know, playoff team could potentially. Those are two guys that are undervalued. Check out the ATC projections. They're up right now. Fan graphs or rotoballer, as you said. And also check him out over on X for beefs with Marcus Stroman and other professional baseball players at ATCNY. That's Ariel Cohen, everybody. Ariel, appreciate your time. It was great to catch up with you, buddy. And, uh, Give me a win total over under for our Mets uh, this year. 76 wins. What do you think? Over? <laughs> I'm going to go over. 78. Yeah. 78. They're spoken like a true bad fan. That'll do it for us. But the story of the game goes on for Ariel and the Welsh. I'm Joey P. We'll see you next time, kids. <laughs>